Welcome back to Hashtag Single with Jeanette Bonner. I am not a relationship expert or sex therapist. I'm just a regular New York City woman navigating the world as a single, independent feminist. Hashtag Single is about having honest conversations with other singles in today's device-obsessed culture. So I hope you'll join me on this interesting, challenging, and complex journey as we navigate the ins and outs of singledom. everyone. Welcome back to Hashtag Single. Jeanette here. How's everyone doing? I hope you all enjoyed our one-on-one conversation with Abby and Paul last month. But for this month, we are back to our regularly scheduled 2022 programming where I connect with another badass podcaster talking about all things sex and dating so that we can have a shared convo and exchange ideas and light each other up and support each other because there's space for all of us, you know? Okay. Anyway, (laughs) so here's the thing. I want to introduce you to a phenomenal person working in the entertainment industry, as well as a multiple podcast host and creator, Ariel Isaac Norman. Ariel, thank you so much for being on Hashtag Single with me. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) I don't know when you messaged me. Ariel reached out to me via hoo-ha-ha, which if you've never heard of it before, it is a euphemism for pussy. Yes, it is. Just to be really clear, if you guys... <laughs> it's a dating app? Never mind. <laughs> it should be. It fucking should be. If we could um, have a dating app feature on there at this point. Oh, I w- that would be so smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have so many elements to it. But it's a community of female creators, largely in the comedy scene, who are looking to collaborate, and they elevate a lot of female voices. So, yeah, Ariel just reached out to me when I was looking for guests. So we don't know each other personally, but we're about to. Yeah, and I've listened to some episodes of your podcast, and I just have to say I love your voice, and like both literally and figuratively, and what you're doing. It seems so cool, like your just attitude toward life and dating and like your kind of brand of feminism. I don't know how to quite say it, but it's just I've really been enjoying like hearing your perspective on things and just your like approach to being a woman. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. I mean, I I was just about to gush about you. So I'm so glad we're here together. And (laughs) I I feel like it was meant for us to connect and vibe together because I do feel like there's a lot of intersection between what you you talk about, what I talk about, and both what what we're just trying to do and like get the message out into the world. So so glad to have you and introduce your podcast and your brand of comedy to our listeners. So before we go uh, any further, I'm just going to introduce you via your short but amazing bio, um, if I may. Native Texan Ariel Isaac Norman is a couth, gender-flexing, five-star lesbian working on the Austin comedy scene since 2015. Ariel is creator and co-host of the cult favorite Gender Fluids podcast, and Ariel has performed at many comedy festivals, including Atlanta's Laughing Skull Festival, Santa Fe's Cloud Top Festival, the Orlando Indie Fest, Louisville Midwest Queer Fest, Nashville's Eastside Comedy Festival, Houston's Whatever Fest, Seattle's Hilarious Fest, and New Orleans Hell Yes Comedy Festival. She was a finalist in the Funniest Person in Austin contest both in 2018 and 19, which were the last two years it happened, and was recently highlighted by Hoo as one of 35 top LGBTQ creators that they love. 
She is part of a sex and drug themed comedy show called Inside Sluts. She is MC of her beloved interactive showcase off script where audience members are rewarded for quality huckles and host of politically non-binary podcast in addition to gender fluids. And according to your Instagram, at least, she is a poly lesbian, quote unquote, running for Pope. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Chihuahua. Are you still running for Pope? Uh, I mean, that's some, uh, that's the way that uh, someone I met recently put it um, and or what she, she thought I should do. And I was like, I see, it. that's the kind of thing that I want. I don't know how to put um, my ambitions to one day be some kind of spiritual and or political leader. Um, so that's just my silly way of putting it. It works. Yeah. I love it. Um, anything in that uh, bio that I, I mean, and I couldn't add it all. Obviously. Yeah, I know you smushed together your, like your every bio I've ever. Are very lengthy, but um, I'm sure, pretty sure there's more. But let's stop and process all those things, shall we? Yeah. Um, real, real quick point of order. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we did. We do call it inside sluts on the occasions that we have it inside for weather, but it's usually called backyard sluts because it's like a backyard show that we do at different people's awesome backyards oh, um, in Austin, Texas. And so, yeah, like the latest backyard like we keep moving it to people's really cool spaces and the latest one had like a rooftop deck and so like and we just have this crazy time rooftop sluts yeah and it's it's just this fun show where we do looks like sexy you know stand up and then we always have some kind of sex themed game in the middle that like the audience participates in and i don't even know how we started by calling it backyard sluts nine like as if we it's like (laughs) as if it's a porn title but also it drummed it up because by by backyards it's 11 people were like oh my god how have i missed all of these shows <laughs> that you did there's but, been 11 seasons of yeah. backyard sets <laughs> that's fun i i love a good i was gonna say like slut party uh-huh. it came out um straight it worked in oh it kind of is but i love i love it if it's outside or inside really and i, mm-hmm. I if i was in austin with you i would 100 percent be there i'm there i'm there with you virtually and i'm there with you spiritually mm-hmm. but, but honestly you're like a creative comedy machine and i honor that so much because i just really gravitate towards and appreciate people and especially creatives who are doers who don't let opportunities come to them but make them for themselves and you just seem to have so many projects that you're juggling and and (laughs) then you've got a new project and like I I just I love that about you I, I I just think that if you have a gift, why not just keep generating new stuff? So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. It is a lot of work. So. I know. <laughs> Thanks for honoring it. I, I honor you because I, I know, you know uh-huh. what I mean? I'm a doer myself and I'm, I also get trapped in the like, I'm literally writing a book right now, which I find hilarious because I barely have time for my podcast. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, it, we're blessed by having creative ideas come to us and we're yes. blessed because we have the skills to execute them and the community that supports them. But we're also <laughs> mildly mentally unwell all absolutely. the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, totally. Absolutely. And um, every time I start something new, I feel like I can. <laughs> what am my, I doing? <laughs> my parents collectively looking at me and sighing like. <sighs> Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, my parents have no idea about backyard sluts or <laughs> gender fluids. Oh, for real? Um, you have a totally different oh, identity with them? Well, I mean, no, they're kind of aware, but my parents are still Mormon. So they're, I'm not like cluing them in. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Hold on. Before we get, I mean, because my instinct to like dive down this personal right. road with you is so strong because that's what I do on this podcast. But, we'll you know, there. and I do want to talk about your podcast. But tell me very briefly, like, do you feel like that that upbringing 
led you to the path of comedy specifically and also kind of gender queerness at all uh, without getting too like yeah. psychologist about it? For sure. I mean, I definitely think it all informs it. You can never really say, you know, where the genderqueer shit comes from. Of course, from. yeah. But because I think probably a lot of that, you know, is genetic as well. But like um, the way that it shaped it, for sure, because I mean, you know, Mormons, just in the simplest way, you know, Mormons are very gender dichotomous in the way that they mm -hmm. shoot you into the paths and split girls and boys up. And like I had to wear all kinds of girly clothes a lot, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, was going on. And then my sexuality was very, you know, policed and, and, you know, not allowed. And so I had all kinds of hangups uh, around sexuality, especially because of the Mormon church on top of what it already would have been. Um, so yeah, definitely informed that. And then because I really discovered stand up when I was like 16 or 17 on the internet and it like, it it's what broke me out of it started the process mm -hmm. anyway of breaking me out of like the paradigms of of yeah. mormon thought so you know listening to george carlin and chris rock and p different people it, it was like oh <laughs> you know because i had been you know essentially programmed into yeah. one world view and so that's the kind of stuff that started helping to get me freed from the prison of the way that you know mormon worldview is and so I, then i was very inspired to be like oh i want to do this so it like gave you the freedom to find your true identity. For sure. And it's like yeah, a combination of stand-up comics and Trey Parker and Matt Stone were mm. <laughs> the main reasons that I was able to free my mind. Yeah, That's kind of twisted and amazing. I just love mm -hmm. that so much. But you have to see a role model of people that reject the norm to give you permission to do that for yourself, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's honestly what you're doing with your podcast. Like hopefully someone is listening and has permission to then say, well, what if I don't want my life to be this one way that I was told it should be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's so cool. What's your, um, you have so many creative children. <laughs> what's your, <laughs> what's your number one baby? Who's my favorite? Like, yeah. No, like what's your, you know, I, I don't want to say like, what's the thing that keeps you going, but like, what's your, what's your through line, if you will? I mean, I think stand up comedy is my favorite child and always will be, uh, you know, I, I need the newer projects to, you know, get excited about. I'm very mm -hmm. excited about politically non-binary that podcast right now, cause it's new and it's mine. And I, you know, I get to say so much on there that I, you know, don't have any other kind of outlet for, and I get to have podcast guests like on gender fluids we have so much fun but we very rarely have podcast guests and so like mm -hmm. all of these things are so fun for me and i love all my shows i love my interactive show off script where i allow heckling and i and i give rewards to the people who are funny at it like because i'm so interact i love interacting i don't care for the fourth wall i mean sometimes heckling will step on a punchline but like i i love i'm just that's like what jazzes me up, but that's the thing. So when you say like what keeps you going and what fuels me, it's absolutely stand up because the, the rush that you get, that kind of pure cocaine high, better than cocaine, you know, um, the high that you get from doing stand up and from like getting to touch people. Like I get like, when you talk about me freeing people from prisons, even through gender fluids, but like, dude, I get emails or messages where these women are like, Hey, like I saw you four years ago and I since, and you, and you like ask the crowd about being poly or something. I since have left my husband. I'm polyamorous and I'm bisexual now. And I'm like, 
<laughs> and they think to reach out to you. That's so amazing. Well, yeah, because they're also trying to, you know, hook up next time I come to Atlanta oh, hey. or whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought they were just like trying to honor you I get their journey. Here I am. I'm so naive. (laughs) But no, but that's not nothing. That's like, again, I mean, just if you could change one person with your comedy, if you can change one person with your opinion, like what an incredible gift. And then people tell you how wonderful is that? And you know, I mean, I assume you're probably the same way where we all struggle with self-esteem and like that no matter how many, you know, compliments you get, like, it's still the you know part of the deep well of stand-up comics real motivations is our horrible self-esteem issues (laughs) and so i mean it was several months into doing stand-up when i first started in boston actually and you know it was mostly doing open mics at this point um but maybe there was like a little showcase that i did at one of those little black box theaters up there and i and i was telling jokes about dildos and whatever and this woman ran into me at the gym and was like oh my god i saw you friday night and your jokes about lesbians and what and she was like i just have to say thank you for existing and like that i mean that's just i mean how could you be more validated i know but it's one of those things where i'm like dude i was just being honest about things in a way where like and that's something about my comedy like I just really really want to be honest about things that people oftentimes aren't honest about like we have to hold the party line or be very like oh we can't let anyone know that things aren't as simple as the politicians among us wants want them to seem and so me just kind of like being like hey making jokes about that you know lesbians we say we don't like penises but like okay we really have all these replicas around you know like <laughs> it would be like a, i can't even remember this is so long ago but it was something about how like it would be like someone you, you find him in his room painting a boba fett figurine but he's like no but i hate boba fett <laughs> I, yes i have all these replicas in various shapes and colors but i just it like comes it, from my know, deep whatever. hatred of it <laughs> yeah or you know so it was so silly but, and, and i think you know those were just like the jokes she was responding to but it was i think she was responding to my desire to be like look we can talk that things aren't so black and white all the time we can have that conversation i can be a gold star lesbian if i'm allowed to say that and still like be able to express some amount of like things aren't that simple and we don't have to pretend they're that simple it can be fine and funny and whatever and you know and labels are always going to be a little blurry anyway and so for someone to like just thank me for expressing that when I was six months into comedy and and it was important to her to have that said out loud, then, you know, everything since then, it's like, I get to share so much more of myself that people respond to like, or like another time that I walked off stage and I was so nervous. I get nervous when I see visibly queer people in the audience sometimes, because like, I don't know sometimes if they're going to, be upset about some of the nuanced things that I say. Hmm. And I remember I got off stage and I was nervous about this, this other short hair, <laughs> as I call people, um, like, a short, like someone who would, who a few years ago, you would have been like, what's well, a short hair lesbian, but now you don't really know if they identify as non-binary or a boy or whatever, sure. something more complicated. And I walked off and they immediately came up to me and were like, oh my God, like, thank you so much. That was like reading from my own diary. 
that's how I think of so much of stand-up is that we are articulating for people things that they either can't say out loud or they don't know how to say. But, you know, they haven't formed that thought themselves or it would be too embarrassing and we're just shameless enough to actually say it. Like, that we're representing other people. And so it's not like, like any thoughts that I have aren't... Nothing's original, right? We're all in this patterned mess together where we all have things in common, whatever. But I, I get to represent the, like, deep, sometimes embarrassing thoughts um, or things that just, you know, not everyone would ever admit in public, whatever. And I get to be the person who goes ahead and says those things, and it allows other people to have that part of them expressed or to talk about that, to, to open the Overton window of what is uh, available to talk about, whether with their friends on the ride home or at work or whatever. And I think especially in the framework of comedy, there's a permission, you know, it's like if, even if people feel like, let's say you were giving a Ted talk on the same topics. Mm -hmm. I think some people might sit into the audience queer or otherwise with their arms folded and be like, "Mm, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but when you're in a, a, a comedy space, it almost, it just relaxes people and they have permission to be like, you know what? It's not that serious. Life's not that serious. We can laugh about it. And also if you disagree, you can laugh about it. So the, Mm -hmm. the, the laughter is a release of tension of like, Oh God, thank God. I was thinking the same thing. Or, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. But now that we're talking about it, I realize how ridiculous it is, you know? Yeah. And that is the thing. We can all get so sanctimonious about whatever our sacred cows are, our sacred beliefs are, the thing. And especially when things are politically tense. And, you know, it's unfortunate, of course, that so many things in the queer world can be politically tense. And here I live in Texas where we have some insane political leadership who wants mm. us to tattletale on each other if if we think someone's trans or if we think someone had an abortion. I mean, it's like, oh, God. Bananas. You know, and that it, it, it is bananas. But at the same time, you know, most of my time I'm spending talking to liberals who already are so far on the left side that we do need to be able to make fun of ourselves. We do need to be able to, like, look at the things that we're getting a little bit wrong or being too black and white about on our end. And, and you know, and I talk to different audiences. Like, I often am talking to conservative rural audiences as well. But most of the times when I'm in cities at these comedy shows, I am talking to liberal liberals. And so then I'm like, well, we need to also kind of make sure that we can laugh about our side of the yes. road so that our ideas are better and stronger so that we're compassionate. Cause we, if we can't laugh at ourselves, then we're never going to be able to be compassionate and understanding of the other side. And we're not going to have as strong uh, viewpoints as, as coherent of ideas. If, if, if it makes you uncomfortable to poke around and laugh at the stuff that is going on on our side, then that might mean that you, on some level, realize that some things that you're getting, you're being a little bit too strident about, or maybe it's not as simple as you're making it out to be. Maybe the, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach um, the way that you're claiming it is because it's politically expedient to claim things are black and white and one-size-fits-all. Beautifully said. Absolutely. But so you do IRL stand up comedy oh, and yeah. you're a podcaster, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of comedians are podcasters, but not all podcasters can do IRL stand up. Mm-hmm. So why do you do both and how do they how do they balance each other? I do both because it's like those are both my favorite things to do. I love talking in just about any context. I feel like most of the time in my most of my time in life is spent talking, even if it's not being recorded or you know into a mic. So stand up is is the biggest thrill and a creative 
delight, you know, like to get to make people laugh and to think, I mean, it's, it's, it's the most fun thing. And it, it, it feels it's, I, I ran away from it for a long time doing stand up. I knew I wanted to do it by the time I was 23. I realized like what an open mic was and that this was something that you could just do. I didn't understand how anyone got into it at all before then. And, and then finally forced myself to do it when I was 27 and a half. And it was just, it's that thing where you finally start doing it and you're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a comic and this is it. And thank God. And, and you know, it's one of those things like, I, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but there are some people who do comedy and like, they're just not, they just don't have it. And those of us who are meant to do this, it's very clear that we're meant to do this. And it's like, it's just, it's a calling. I mean, I feel, which is again, why I like what I said. I like your voice. Cause like you seem to be totally cool with spiritual language. So I do feel called. I feel like this is my fate. It's the, the reason that I'm on earth is to express these things. And stand up is one of the ways that I'm meant to do that. And then with podcasting, it's like, you know, I have so much fun doing gender fluids with one of my absolute best friends in the world. We get to the fact that we get to sit down and do this thing that like that people listen to and we get to talk about sex and gender and kinks and fetishes. I mean, it's a thrill. Like, why wouldn't we do this? We laugh. It's the most I laugh every week when we do this, you know, when we record together, it's, uh, you know, and it, and it, doing podcasts changes the quality of your attention. It changes the quality of the presence with people. It would be great if we were always present with people in that same way all the time when we're talking and we should, and when I'm enlightened, you know, I will, I guess, but there is something about when you're recording it where you're not going to look at your phone. You're not going to be distracted. You know, we're, we're with each other. That's so true. Yeah. And we're conscious of making good content. And so it, it just helps channel our energies into that kind of radiant presence. Um, and it's so great. Like, you know, who else do I have to talk to about sex and stuff in the way that I can with her? She's my co-host on gender fluids is a trans chick who's also a comedian. And we're both just kind of obsessed with sex and have been since we were little. And, and we both have, wait, have you known each other since you were children? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> we we met in no, like but not for nothing. It sounds like you have a long relationship together. It's I, yeah. I almost thought maybe you went to high school together or something like that. Um, no, we met. She started doing comedy in Austin in like 2016, I think, or maybe late 2015, because I had moved there in like January of 2015, and so we met pretty quickly. Whenever she started doing stand up, we met. Okay. And and it was a, I think I think toward the end of 2017. Yeah that we started doing gender fluids. Um, but you know, and she and I have very similarly dark senses of humor and it's hard to find even yeah, in the do. comedy world. You can't, <laughs> you can't always find people with, you totally with, do. with the cross section of that dark of a sense of humor and people who are that interested in like the fetish world and, and sex and gender. Like it's because there are times on gender fluids. Yeah. We're disgusting. I mean, it's really like <laughs> you, you go there. You go, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. But at the I same was like, time, should I have a trigger warning on this one? This is intense. <laughs> Yeah. Only I hope it makes everyone want to listen. Yeah. <laughs> but is... if you've ever clutched your pearls in your entire life, then do not listen to gender fluid. No, they sh- those are the people that should listen. Unclutch Maybe those so. pearls and like like just get the the phone under the covers and yeah. Scrap all the rules and everything you were told. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's but so uh it's it's not just that are we, we we sometimes are very we often are very disgusting and and just out there, but also 
you know, every few episodes at least, there'll be these moments where we're talking about something and it gets very sincere and emotional. And I wind up like crying on the air because I'm discovering something that I hadn't figured out about my gender before and having this moment of like, Mm. oh, this is why that is. And this is how I can deal with this better. And so it's really this beautiful thing. And it's been interesting lately because I have gotten in trouble with some people in the queer world. I, I've been trying to post more stand up to just the internet, you know, Instagram. And I, I've been trying to post little clips and sometimes, you know, like you say, when you're at comedy shows, there's this context where everyone can kind of relax and join this collective experience that yeah. we're having together. And we know it's comedy, but when you post a 30 second clip, I'm not always good at, at realizing how that's going to come off to people who aren't at a comedy show, who don't know me, who haven't kind of been adjusted into the persona ish thing that I'm doing on stage, who don't have the right. context of the 10 minutes that I've built up before that joke. And so if I make a joke about, you know, non-binary, surgeries without all of that context, then some people got really upset and um, kind of tried to cancel me in the way that you can. I have such a self-built career that there's no real cancellation. You could just attempt to, you know, be mean to me or make me a pariah to your circle or whatever. But some people were telling me that I was kicked out of the queer community, whatever the hell that would possibly be. Oh my mean. God. <laughs> That's some so people. extreme anyway. Like, how do you some people that? were also sending me private messages telling me how much they appreciate it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. We write. Yeah. There is no, first of all, there is no actual queer community. <laughs> there's um, doors. It's a so. gated community with doors. <laughs> Yeah. I'll send my glad card back in the mail. Um, (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) So, but you know, and some people wrote her and asked her how she could be friends with me and how we could continue to do the (gasps) podcast. Now I think that those people are probably people who just enjoy the gender fluids memes on Instagram and probably haven't listened to the podcast. Um, That would just be my guest, my guest, but little internet warriors. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and we talked about it on the next episode that we recorded where, you know, she was like, dude, like, I don't have anybody else that I can joke with about all this stuff. And also we love each other. So we have some political differences. Sure. Is that supposed to mean that we can't do this podcast together where we have so much in common, explore these ideas? We're still both queers, by the way. We just, you know, I have some like heterodox questions. I have some amount of like not kind of always subscribing because I'm a devil's advocate and I always have been when you're a little Mormon in Texas and then you're gay and you're sexual like there was a constant kind of when I'm at school I'm playing devil's advocate for the Mormons when I'm at church I'm playing devil's advocate for the world and that has called followed me in every life situation that I'm in. And so, and that's part of being a stand-up too, I think, is that we mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. are like, we're questioning everything. And so, like I said, I can sometimes lose sight of the context and I'm trying to figure out how to not, you know, cause you, cause you're also, you know, people's attention spans are so shot that like, all I can do is these 30 second clips. Right. <laughs> so, right. but then the 30 second clip, yeah, I was like, okay, my bad you're right in 30 seconds this probably wasn't enough to like welcome people into the thought space that I was in I was going to really compliment you because I I think gender identity and gender politics is such a hot button topic with so many people because a they're either 
too afraid to misspeak or they don't understand it themselves. So they just sort of blanket avoid it. And what I love about gender fluids and what I love about the rapport that you have with Ava is that the conversation is just so raw and open and genuine in your conversations. And it's honest about the fact that our world is constantly shifting and that we're all actively figuring it out together. You know, you guys make it so approachable and not scary. And that is no small feat. So, I mean, that's, I think, it's a double-edged sword, right? I think that's what draws people in. It, it drew me in. Um, but it, yeah, it can be used against you. It can be wielded against you. Your openness, your vulnerability, your rawness, and just the fact that you're having conversations about it in the first place. Right. And I think that that's, but that's what makes our podcast so great, really, to me, is not only that we do have this dark sense of humor and this interest in these topics together, but that we have these different roles. She's the one who is a little bit younger and who is very kind of like in the, you know, she has like a philosophy degree in, in, in a like colonialism or something, you know. Oh my God, really? <laughs> something like that. You know, and it's like she so she's got like the woke stuff down, although she's she's not like insufferable about that, you know, but I and I'm the person who's also a little bit of a stand in for the, the, the slightly more conservative person, the person with some questions, the person who you know, is going to go, Hey, wait a minute. Are we not overreaching here? Or are we sure about this? And so to me, I'm like, this is a good thing because we can have that out, but I'm still someone who's queer. I'm still someone who has suffered under the oppression of homophobia and gender nonconforming phobia and all that. So it's like, who better to have the difficult conversations? I wish she would go there with me more. She doesn't really want to like like have it out about like the real political (laughs) stuff. Well, she just doesn't, you know, want us us to spend our time like kind of really having difficult political conversations. Like there was one when, when the JK Rowling thing was kind of first happening, we did it a little bit, but it was, it was too upsetting for her. Like Mm -hmm. I was raised in a family where like we can have some arguments, you know, but she's like, no, like we're not going to do that, but the little things will come up or, or whatever. And and I think it's beautiful. I think it's it's such a good way. I always think that people who are definitely like somewhat more conservative but are interested in gender, it actually is as disgusting and crazy as that podcast is. It actually is very welcoming for them because it I'm going to be the one going, wait, what does that word mean? And yeah, and we yeah. can laugh about it. It's not sanctimonious. Most of the queer, po- you know, we have this kind of joke in the beginning of the podcast where we say it's the only queer podcast that isn't super gay. And like what we mean by that is that so many queer podcasts go out of their way to do all the trigger warnings, content warnings, to do all of the like caveats of, Hey, this isn't everyone's opinion. And, and also we're going to educate you. And every time, they bring up a word or anything like everything is treated so seriously that and preciously. it's not and preciously that yeah. you can't that's not going to welcome in anyone who's already a little bit rolling their eyes at exactly. the queer world that's not how you grow like you have mm-hmm. to you have to give people much like comedy you have to give people permission and space so that they're not um, constantly self-editing so that it's okay mm-hmm. to say actually I don't know what that means or you know I'm the first to say uh, you know I'm flawed human being I still say I've said it a couple times already on this podcast I know like I still say you guys um, you know I use binary <laughs> pronouns because I'm a 40 year old woman who was brought up in a binary patriarchal society so I'm still growing and trying to change as a person and I can yes. acknowledge that while still working on myself and still learning. 
Well, and at the same time, you know, you guys is one of those phrases where some people will tell you they don't like it because they're a woman and they don't want you to be using guys as a collective. Some people will tell you they love it because guys is, has become quite the gender neutral word. And so it actually, they feel affirmed when you say it, you know, like it's so many you can't people please everybody. Exactly. Yeah, you can't please everybody. And so the idea that we should have all these rules, that's something that I really butt up against is the idea that there are one size fits all rules that we should all be saying, always ask for pronouns, never say you guys, like all this kind of stuff. Like that's just not going to work. You're going to have to do things on an individual basis. Same thing is true for most policies that we have regarding gender and how we deal with it. Everyone wants everything to be like, okay, this is how we're going to do sports. This is how we're going to do battered women's shelters. How about if we're humans and we're going to realize that things are going to have to happen on a case-by-case basis sometimes yeah amen amen sister um i just want to i just want to listen to you i just want you to like be my little angel on my right shoulder all the time and be like ariel i i'm not sure how i'm supposed to feel about this thing and you're gonna be like wait which one's the (laughs) i like i think the right shoulder is the good shoulder right (laughs) i don't know but i I like the idea that i'm either the angel on the devil's shoulder or the devil on the angel's shoulder i would i would support that i would support that fully so i have a question for you you've been doing your podcast since 2018 which is a little longer than i've been doing hashtag single what has changed for you personally in doing the show in doing gender fluids what's changed for me like and personally you mean uh yeah how do you mean personally however you want to answer that like (laughs) who were you when you started the podcast Uh, who are you now what did it mean to you when you started it versus like what you think it's about now certainly like are you in a kitchen (laughs) um are you in a restaurant (laughs) you don't even I am in a cafe and I think, yeah, we might take a break for a second. So this is the first time I think she's turned on the blender. So I have a complicated situation where I had to like our, our Wi-Fi is being fixed right now at home. So I went to a cafe, but I, the room that was available is actually the children's room that, so I'm in a, I did hear kids in the background. I thought they might be yours. They're in another room. (laughs) They're in another room, but I'm in the children's room, but there is a very, I love that we're having this conversation in the children's room. That just, yeah. um, You can curse all you want. I'm like, well, okay. Who knows? I'll Um, curse for you. You can use, uh, I don't know, (laughs) cute little words if you want to. No, I I don't think I've been censoring myself too much. I'm still talking about sex I hope there's some strange child who has an ear on this conversation and is like, just, you know, gender curious and and maybe learning from this one-sided condo. The, uh, the the kids that I live with on, on our polyamorous commune definitely hear all kinds of things. You should hear the gender jokes that they make <laughs> because of what they pick up on. Wait, you live yeah. in a polyamorous commune? Is yeah. that real? Yeah. Tell me, mo- Wimberley, tell me more. Where is it? <laughs> in, it's in Wimberley, Texas. So it's in the hill country outside of Austin. Whoa. And... Yeah, we made friends with my girlfriend and I made friends with some people who were in a throuple and it's it's gone through some complicated changes and some things are in flux, but there are uh, eight children and seven adults who all live on the property. Um, so yeah, there's some p- partnered couples as well who have had children. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like there's a woman who has two children from a previous situation okay. who's it. in the throuple. And then there's four kids from an original couple who got married when they were like a young Christians. And then they realized that they didn't want life to be that simple. And then there's another couple in the back. And, you know, everyone always thinks that, like, that means we're all fucking. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Two of us are it's, lesbians anyway. It, but 
Is it a single house that you all live in or do people have different no. living arrangements? There's a main house and then there are several cabins and there's a yurt and yeah oh my god i want to have a we're whole building a tree house this alone yeah <laughs> just, that's so i love that you just threw that in so casually and i was like wait this is fascinating well, that's, that's one of the things that's changed since i started doing the podcast but um, okay yeah so well so for gender fluids it's really interesting you know i love going back and listening to the early episodes because i was a very different person when i got together when when ava and i started doing the podcast i at the time was still married or about to be married i was with my the woman who my most recent ex-wife we were Mm -hmm. still together and we were monogamous and so I, you know, having been raised Mormon, I was a very sexual kid and I, and I've always had elaborate sexual fantasies, but so many of them I had not gotten to explore in any way, always dating vanilla people. I mean, most of my twenties, I just spent dating people I wasn't even attracted to. So that sex is never that great. Um, and so then, you know, when I started that podcast, I was very, I was much more conservative sexually. And mm. so Ava has like walked me through a lot of stuff like just for me learning about kink and like understanding it and becoming like more sex positive. I mean, I always still, I have kind of a, a temperament where I'm always going to question things and go, okay, are we sure that person didn't get hurt as a child and needs therapy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I have become so much more open to uh, all of these ideas and that, uh, and just, yeah, becoming much more robustly sex positive and exploratory. And so then I, you know, in the course of these years, I, um, my, my wife and I divorced, separated, and I immediately became poly, which I really knew I wanted to be polyamorous from the time that it was when I was getting out of my first marriage that mm. I, I had read sex at dawn and I tried reading sex at dawn to my first ex-wife, like, <laughs> before we like got divorced as a way to maybe we could save Introduce this if, mm-hmm. and I was like one and a half pages in before she was like what the fuck is this <laughs> shut it down shut it down <laughs> I was like well okay. then you got your answer <laughs> thought we could get through the prologue but never mind <laughs> yeah and then and then I kind of assumed when I got with my second ex-wife, I, I even though and I, when I was younger, I was so monogamous and I didn't, I was so jealous and possessive. Like I just could, didn't understand how there was a part of me that knew I kind of wanted it because I kind of wanted the freedom, but I couldn't imagine giving that freedom to my partner. So I had some, I had some idea that like, well, maybe for the first several years we'll be monogamous and then we'll get to this point in the relationship where we'll just kind of be like comfortable enough slash bored enough that we'll start opening things up a little bit. Or I kind of got permission for her, like, Hey, could I just go on dates with other people? Even if like no kissing, like I just want to go on dates. And so much of it is so much of like being poly slash open is, you know, when you go to a party and you're trying to like talk to people if you're just in a closed relationship, then there's just not like the energy, the energy that you can get from some amount of flirtation from like the possibility, even if nothing is going to happen, just the possibility that it might gives you access to so much energy that you otherwise wouldn't have. And Mm -hmm. so like getting to have that experience, like I just wanted to be able to meet new people and it's so, so much easier if you could like meet people and, and have those experiences. But then I didn't want to be weird and confusing these poor people that I was trying to non date. Um, so I never really did it. But the moment that like she left me when, 
once it was like, okay, we're ending this, I was like, oh, thank God. I have so much of my sexuality to explore and I want to be poly. And I immediately just started dating people in the context of, hey, I'm, I'm poly, you poly. And everyone, everyone I met was just like, of course we are, <laughs> which I don't understand because I <laughs> ask audiences all the time and it's, and it's like no one, <laughs> but everyone in like the Austin queer dating scene was like, yeah, of course I'm poly. So now I have a dom and I have a, a few girlfriends and you know, I live in a wow. polyamorous commune and yeah. Like 180 degrees. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And then more difficult question. Um, if you feel anything has changed in society in the years you've been covering gender fluids as a podcast? Oh man, things have changed a million degrees. I mean, I, we've done so many circles. So <laughs> she's like, not necessarily progress, just sort of I, It's both. <laughs> yes. And I mean, there's, there's definitely progress, but it's, you know, it's also, yeah. Wh- where are we going? So so I th- did we start in 2018 or was it 2017? I, you, you might know better than I do, but it, whenever we started, um, I, it feels like it was in the pre-Trump world, but I guess it wasn't because that would have had to be earlier in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I guess it was early Trump days. Um, but I don't know. Gender was simpler when Ava and I first became friends. It was still like, it was just more fun. I was just, I was just fascinated and I'd met some people a little bit here and there throughout life, but it was kind of an anomaly, but it it felt like at the time it felt like we could be very open and direct. And that was part of why I made such good friends with Ava is because no question was off the table. We could joke about things. We could call a spade a spade and, and that was all good. She even talked about in the post Trump election that and she wanted to really circle the wagons as liberals, as queers, and not be questioning ourselves as much because we needed to fight the the sex essential threat of the bad red people. But for a long time, it felt like, especially in the trans world, you were not allowed to ask questions. You were not allowed to, like, there was so much that was off the table in terms of Hey, can we talk about like the, some certain biological realities though, as we process what our policies are going to be mm-hmm. in terms of sports, say, in terms of yeah. self ID laws for all kinds of things. And so that kind of shift has really been interesting and, and it always affects, you know, stand up when again, cause so much of, of stand up is about playing devil's advocate. And so there's some amount of it where I, feel this real responsibility as someone who is genderqueer, as someone who's gay, to that this is this is an area I can talk about. I have more leeway to talk about and explore. So I feel a real sense of responsibility to be someone who is in there. Like I would rather it be me questioning these things and looking for nuance and trying to improve our ideas than it just to be some Joe Schmo who is, you know, right. ignorant about most of this stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean I, this is it's not a simple air answer, and I know it's not black or white either, but do you feel like things have gotten better, or have we gotten past the place of openness to become more constricting, if that makes sense? I know that's a little bit of a contradiction. Yeah. No, I do know what you mean, and I think that it, I see some signs of things 
redirecting toward a better, basically the pendulum swings, right? Yeah. So I think we, because of, because of so much past oppression and so much perceived threat from the red team and the Trump era and everything, there was a lot of like, let's push the pendulum as far as we can to the left. Let's, let's have no uh, restrictions to anything. If a queer person says it, we're all donating money to that right away. And we are going to, anything that they tell us, we're not going to look it up. We're not going to, even if the science, if we don't like the science, we're going to say it's not real. I mean, it, it things like, did get a little blanket bad. green light. Yes, exactly. Blanket green light, blank check, green light. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Matthew McConaughey green lights for these. So, <laughs> so I love that book. Actually, <laughs> you got to listen to him, read it on audiobook. I'm so charmed by him. Um, but and so that's something where I've always been hesitant because you remember like when the gay marriage debates were in full swing in this country, you and I are old enough to remember this. And the whole talk was the slippery slope argument and that, hey, look, if you open up marriage like this, if you open this up, then it's going to be a slippery slope. And before long, all kinds of things are going to be happening. And everyone on the liberal side was like, no, no, you're stupid. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. We're just talking about one man and one man, you know, two, two loving, consenting adults. And, and these people were kind of talking about like, you know, well, what, what's going to be next? You know, polygamy, whatever. And, and yeah. everything that they, that they feared is absolutely what's happened and more. If you had told people, you know, not only are we, I mean, I'm polyamorous and, and advocating for that. And I think monogamy should be a lot less prevalent. Um, I have been, that's a whole, we should do another whole episode on that. Oh, and I but, talk about the irrelevancy yeah. of monogamy all the time, all the time. Okay. I feel like that's like the subtext okay. of every episode of my hashtag. Constantly, like, is marriage <laughs> really a thing that needs to have to happen in modern day society? Well, and there aren't there aren't enough good men for monogamy to make sense. That's really going to punish women if yeah. a one to one ratio sucks. So, you know what I mean? So like, so I think true. we should be breeding men better, but okay. So I don't think we're the only thing that, that hasn't been the slippery slope is that no one is actually talking about marrying animals. Well, there's like three people, but you know, other than that, if they, they the conservatives who were worried about the slippery slope could not have even drummed up that we were going to be putting children on puberty blockers and 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 then cross sex hormones and then so we were going to be talking, yes. putting people in sports and that we would be saying you know calling people birthing persons at the hospital and whatever like yes. all of these kinds of things and not that there's no place for inclusifying language in certain contexts not that you know we need to figure something out about sports and prisons and everything we need we there's we have there are nuanced things that need to be happening about all these things um, and it's not as simple it's not simple the way the conservatives say it's it's not simple the way the you know activists say on the other side i you know i really feel very strongly that that there are complicated solutions that we need to figure out to all of those things but the slippery slope is absolutely real. And so I've yeah. been, even before I ever did stand up, you know, was like thinking of the stand up about this, where it's like, you guys are outside of your minds if you don't think it's a slippery slope. Of course it is. If you're going to start changing the definitions of stuff that we've been doing for the thousands of years of institutions. Now, by the way, is it bad that it's a slippery slope? Not necessarily. First of all, as we say on gender fluids, if it's going to be, a, if you're going to go down a slope, you better be, hope that it's slippery. <laughs> <laughs> Lube that slope slope up okay. <laughs> you're gonna burn your ass if it's not slippery i love that um so 
So it's not, but so yeah, have we made progress? That's so complicated because in some ways, it's like for trans people, for people who have an enormous amount of gender dysphoria and who uh, really would have such better outcomes and do have such better outcomes if they have access to medical care, whatever. There's there's so much progress has happened for certain people. Um, But on the other hand, there is something where once you have the technology available to people, they then become obsessed with it in a way where if it just wasn't, then... Uh, you know, and you hear this from certain people who have, who like say that they have kind of a mental disorder around this and that, um, they were fine with their fantasies of being a woman until they heard about these technologies. And then it became this plague for them where they Mm. had to get these things. And there are people who there are different kinds because trans isn't one thing. There are a million different things that lead to people having gender dysphoria that lead to people wanting to change their gender or their sex or whatever. And so for some people, there are better outcomes with the with the surgeries and with the hormones. For some people, it's a mixed bag. For some people, it's an unalloyed bad, and they regret it. And it's very complicated. And so, and particularly for young XX chromosome people, um, we there is some real evidence that there's been an amount. There's a certain amount of social contagion that has that happens with XX teenagers all the time where they're cutting themselves, they're anorexic. Um, they hate their bodies. They hate themselves. They hate being a woman. They hate male attention. They're all of those kinds of things have clustered together so that unfortunately, cause it's like one thing you could say, Hey, things are harder now and you might get it wrong. If you think you're, you would be better off transitioning. Uh, but it's mostly affecting young XX people uh, in a way with much more negative outcomes than for XY people. Now, I have some solutions to that, but they're nuanced, right? So it's in some ways, but and, and it's not just with the surgeries and the hormones. So if you think about how hard it was to be gender nonconforming, gender stereotype nonconforming, um, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, it was not great, <laughs> and especially right, not right. great for young penis people. And now, because trans people have taken a battering ram, trans and gender nonconforming and non-binary people have taken a battering ram down to these stereotypes, uh, it, there is so much more freedom, so much more freedom of expression. And that is a beautiful thing. And and particularly for penis people, like they were really in that kind of prison and, and we're, we're still just kind of breaking them out of that, you know, where the feminists who came before us uh, got it, got it so that we could wear pants and have various careers and we could have backpacks instead of purses if we want, you know, like <laughs> there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of the freedom that we had where penis people still like, even now, if you don't identify as non-binary, can you really wear a dress, you know, and if yeah, and that yeah. jobs, I mean, think about you would get fired from a job. You still will get fired from most jobs. You still can't, you still would have to be like, I am trans. I am a trans woman in order to get the HR department to allow you to wear a dress and makeup. If you're a penis person, Whereas, you know, everyone should just be able to wear whatever they want. Everyone should be able to express themselves. And there could be a dress code, but the dress code should not be sex or gender specific. I mean, there's so much of this where it's like we're still in this kind of flux of figuring out how are we going to do gender norms? How are we going to? Yeah. Yeah. So there's more freedom, but it's gotten more complicated. You know, as right. with any freedom, you know, you like make mm-hmm. space and then new questions come come up that haven't been there before. I, yeah. I, I hear you on all those things. And I, I love I just love hearing your thoughts and opinion about it so much. It just um, like I said earlier, I want to bring the conversation sort of wrap it up in and in bringing introducing hashtag single back into the convo. Um, yeah. 
So <laughs> no, not to put you, <laughs> no, no, just because I'm curious about it. I don't mean to mm-hmm. put you on the spot. I genuinely want to excavate it with you. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious if when we talk about on the hashtag single, a lot is the expectation to be partnered up mm-hmm. the way we've been socialized in our society to say that being single is not normal, not normalized, not ideal. I'm curious if you find the same, I know we've been talking about Polly, but do you find the same expectation to be partnered up present in the queer poly trans community? Like do the same rules of society or imprint of society fit into uh, a community that has rebelled or reject mainstream culture um, in gender queerness, if that makes sense? I think so. So like, it is definitely there is definitely less pressure in the queer world to be partnered. Everyone, I, I, people really understand the idea that you could live a completely fulfilled life, never having a partner or a primary partner, um, and not having children, not going through the regular script. That's one of the really nice things that the queers have established is that we are no longer. And for a long time, we still kind of were, and I certainly was. You know, I got married a couple times. I was trying to be on the path of mm-hmm. like I'm going to get married and have kids. Um, But we really all kind of figured out like, wait, 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 let's just reject the script. Like, why are we, we're we're not, we're not this kind of Christian anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so now people, especially because in the queer world and there is so much overlap with the poly, you know, you can be single poly. You can be someone who's like, Hey, I like dating people, but I'm going to not be partnering with any of you, at Hmm, least for now. Um, single poly is a really fun concept and it's hard though. It's just like, to me, it's not. I, you know, I don't give a shit about societal pressure in that way. Um, you know, to, you know, even if, even if there were societal pressure on me really to like be partnered, that's not the issue. The issue is that life is difficult without at least one partner. Yeah. Um, financially it's difficult. Yeah. You're just taking on more of a burden. So I would say that I think people need to be open to some of the stuff that does happen in the kind of queer poly world where you can have partners who aren't even necessarily sexual partners. I've seen some of this, oh. you know, yeah, where, okay. Cause best friends, you don't have to be, I want that. To be their partner. Help me pay my bill. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like a roommate, you know, first of all. Oh, okay, you're right. (laughs) You know, but you could have a roommate, but someone who's not just a roommate and or a friend who um, could be your, there could be, you could be a business partner or investor. They could also, you could have someone where you're like, hey, it's cheaper to go on vacations together. So like best friends can function in these ways. Totally. So you can have all kinds of partners and people get so hung up, especially with the poly thing. They think it's all big sex orgy all the time with us. And it's like, no, a lot of this is the realization that if you're going to have children, we, you know, we always said, you know, it takes a village, but most people aren't doing that. I've heard people say that it's like a luxury belief to think that we can get rid of the two parent household. Um, but in reality, being a single parent's the worst for, for people and their children. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, 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 we're not talking about single parent households. It's great for kids to have two parents. How much better if they have three, four, five, six, seven parents, seven to be raised by a community. Them. Yeah to be raised by a community like our fucking ancestors were, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's, like it's actually natural as opposed to this atomized, creepy world that we have where we're supposed to all be in our little boxes um, with two very stressed out parents <laughs> who, yes. who, who, are, who hate each other because of every moment that they actually get alone. No, you need, you need lots of adults. And so if you want to have a functional, like we're supposed to be in community. And so I think with partners, what people should realize is like, 
like just like it's none of these kids business which of us are fucking when um it's never it, it's none of the society's business who's doing what you can partner with anyone in any way that you want to there are no rules you can say hey I'm going to sleep with, you know, these seven people on a hotation. Um, I'm going to live with my best friend. I have another friend that we really like traveling together. Ariel, I have another friend that we're going to be business partners. And there's so many ways that anything that you wanted to get out of a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, heteronormative partnership, you know, whether you're gay or not heteronormative partnership, um, you can get out of other relationships. You could get out of whether that's one, two, eight other relationships. It does not have to look like here's the dude that I fuck and also we travel together and also we raise kids together. And also, you know, this is who I share bills with. Yeah. And I mean, that's just how I think, even though like, yeah, I have a primary partner, but the part of the reason that I, you know, date and I, and I have found other girlfriends is it, you know, it's, it's not easy to just put all that stuff on one person. And I don't know that it's healthy and good. You can become uh, disappointed because no one's going to be everything that you want. And so you might right. also want a partner who, you know, there's a certain genres of music that Casey doesn't like as much, but that I do, uh, and that I met and that Sarah does. And so like, we can go and have that. And like, so I would say the same thing. It doesn't matter. Even if you don't think of yourself as poly and you don't want to get sex involved in that, you can be polyamorous just means loving more than one person. And we all are polyamorous. Yeah. You know, it's just, it doesn't, people get so hung up on the sex issue, but everybody does that differently. And that is an individual choice for each of these different relationships. Um, but yeah, you just, we don't need to be following these rules anymore. You can, you know, color outside the lines at this point. Yeah. Going back to what we were originally talking about, like just having permission to approach life in a way that makes sense the most sense to you mm -hmm. I guess was that that was like a really yeah. basic conclusion to make but <laughs> but really I mean I just want to honor like your thoughts in that space because I think they're very much in line with um what we talk about in this podcast but um you know just the fact that you your presence in the podcast space um and what you're doing with your comedy about just carving a space for people you know mm -hmm. th that that those who feel different in our society because our lives don't mirror the way society has told them to look have um, a, a place or a community or, or an outlet of, of people to listen to like you and me, you know, and uh -huh. I just want to honor you for creating conversations that are welcoming and open. And as, as you always say on the podcast, just chill. Well, listen, I so appreciate you and your openness and your your opinion and your willingness to share it with me and have this conversation. I think you're such a badass. Ariel, it was so wonderful having this conversation with you. So thank you again. If you all liked listening to this episode with Ariel about gender fluids or and gender queerness in general, and you have a friend who might enjoy this conversation, please consider passing it along. As always, we're over on Instagram at hashtag single pod. We'd love for you to join the conversation over there. And if you're feeling extra spicy today, maybe give us a like and a follow on whatever platform you're listening on. And maybe if you're feeling hot and spicy, leave a little extra love in a review. That's it for this episode. We will catch you next time. Bye.